And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He proceeded. So this is the end of the Paschal week, which we consider one day in our celebration of the great feast of the resurrection of our Lord. So uh, Monday is Paschal Tide, Paschal time, but we don't have all the uh, freedom that we had like toward the bright week. We had no fast or anything like that. So the Ruthenians do return to abstinence of meat on Wednesdays and Fridays. And of course the monastery would do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. But not dairy products or other things like that. Uh, it's abstinence and it's not a fast. The reason always being that Christ was betrayed on Wednesday, he died on Friday. So this period goes along for 40 days now and we'll be singing the Paschal mystery uh, music and celebrating the mystery for 40 days. Then we'll come to Ascension and then we'll come after that to Pentecost. Thomas confessed. He says, unless I put my hand inside and my fingers into the marks in his hands, I will not believe. He wants to see the risen Lord. And the risen Lord comes into the room. He walks through the doors. He doesn't open the door. So usually when we paint that icon, we don't put any uh, handles on the doors like you'd use to come in. And uh, they are sort of amazed at that. And they probably had a hard time recognizing him because he had his glorified self with him. But uh, according to the Gospels, we, uh, we, ascend, we celebrate the Ascension 40 days, but the Passion, Death, and Resurrection took place almost instantaneously. So we had ascended the Father and set his right hand in his glory. The Father rejoiced and loved it. Now for we poor confused people on the earth who didn't know the meanings of these things, the apostles in their writings, especially John, goes extensively into the meaning of these things. And in John's Gospel, we have recordings of the 40-day visitation before you send it. It's a beautiful time uh, here in the Western Hemisphere. It's going to be spring, we hope. And, uh, and I was in Seattle earlier uh, this past month, and the flowers were blooming, and everything was gritty for spring. Of course, they have spring a lot sooner than we do. And uh, our spring is a month later than the one in the valley. It's sort of interesting there. But it's a time of rejoicing. So we ask ourselves, why did he appear to us 
It's so we could believe in the reality of the risen Lord. And the Lord Jesus said, Blessed are they who do not see but believe. So faith has a lot to do with what we believe. And actually, we live most of our life by faith. So you do everything almost every day by faith. You get up in the morning, and you're going to find that you assume that everybody in the house is alive. And you're going to have your cup of coffee, and you're going to get ready for work, and you assume that the job is still there. And you also make another assumption that's sort of weak, that the car is going to run. All these things are assumptions that we make that may not necessarily be true. We also assume that God's going to keep us awake and alive for another day. And that's not necessarily true either. But it's reasonable faith. So is the reasonable faith in the resurrection of Christ. And Thomas has given us uh, the evidence because another man could have walked in the room that looked like Christ, but he wouldn't have had the marks of the crucifixion. And the other problem was that did he die on the cross? He gave up his life to the Lord. He did not die. His body was in repose, we say. Or was it a dead body that rose from the tomb? It was the body of the living Lord. So it wasn't completely dead, was it? The holy gifts were still around him. But it was the same body because he had the marks of his passion, death, and resurrection but greatly improved. And that's what's going to happen with us too, I hope. We fall asleep in the Lord and we go to heaven, but when the general resurrection comes, we're going to be greatly improved, many, many ways. I think the apostles, when they decided to record for us the passion, death, and resurrection, when they did that, they were already greatly improved. But what they saw was not just what they believed, they experienced it. We did not experience the passion, death, and resurrection, or believe in it for a reasonable purpose, because we believe in the scriptures. And the apostles have written these documents to us, telling us about the resurrection. So some of you, you may have family letters. And uh, they've been sent, you know, been kept from generation to generation. And you read these letters, and it was your great-grandfather, your great-grandmother, your great-great-grandfather, whatever it was. And you believe they really existed, although you never experienced them. But you have the evidence of their existence by the letters they wrote, and you believe in them. So it is with the scriptures, sacred scriptures. We believe 
because the apostles lost his testimony. Now, other people uh, in the church who are graced by God with special graces have experienced the risen Lord. They've seen him or he has appeared to them. We call them the mystics. And they also receive from him messages and sentiments in the mystical life. But we know to get those things happen to us, we have to believe a very and practice a very ascetical life. So even before your passion, death, and resurrection, you will experience the truths of what is revealed to us. Now I think about the resurrection. I think about our Lord as he's described in Acts the Apostles, all white, shining with light, white and gold vestments, fire in front of his eyes, sitting at the right hand of the Father. I get excited about that. I think it's wonderful. But usually when he comes upon the earth, he sort of looks like one of us, except maybe he has more grace about him, he has more light about him, and we can experience that. So I guess to see him in his heavenly glory completely, we have to get there. In the Old Testament, people always wanted to see God. Jesus came, and he is God, and he showed himself to us. But because of his resurrection, he did better than that. He taught us that we would be partakers of the resurrection. That gives us great hope, and so we live the Christian life in the hope of our own resurrection. If he could raise his own body, he can certainly raise and glorify ours. It'll be a magnificent experience, I am sure. Everybody, uh, especially some fundamentalists, they're worried, worried about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I worry about the first coming when I see him for the first time in heaven. I wonder how he's going to receive me. I wonder how my uh, wedding clothes for the heavenly banquet will look. What would they look like? Now, I have great hope because it says in the Acts of the Apostles the priests will arrive there in glory and they'll take their crowns and throw them before the, the Holy Trinity in worship. Pay attention closely when you read John's Gospel and you read Apocalypse about the last things. They're going to affect you for eternity, not just while we're here. So Thomas gives us the witness of how to accept and believe our risen Lord. Of course, it's magnificent. It's beyond belief because through his resurrection we experience the life of grace, the divine energies, and we receive sentiments and messages from him as long as they're within the context of the true faith, they're just fine. So I put a lot of hope in the power and resurrection of Jesus Christ and in the prayer and witness of Thomas. It was for us. The apostles already were knowing. They saw him in his resurrected glory. But for us, we have to wait. 
But the waiting can be a beautiful thing. First of all, by your good works, you can prove your wedding garment. So you don't go in there with all ripped up or whatever. It's going to be glorious, and you will give receive the light, and you'll be shining, and you'll be beautiful. So I told you the story some months ago about the lady I met in England. I will repeat it. So I played in the Norfolk Symphony Orchestra when I was in England, on my scratchalarius, I call it, my violin. And they would have tea. And in England, tea is more sacred than church. At certain times of day, Buckingham Palace has uh, Queen has tea, and so does everybody else. Usually it's about once in the morning, once in the midday, ten, midday, ten, now noon, and then they have they have a dinner, and sometimes they have supper. They have a lot of small meals. Uh, so anyway, and the queen, of course, uh, that's, they're probably imitating what she does. And uh, so anyway, all these small meals, we have really one great meal a day. It's the Eucharist. And we look forward to that too, because that is the food for the journey and the food of glory and the resurrection. It makes us beautiful before God in our beautiful angelic clothes. Now in England, uh, I know the uh, royal family are believers, but I don't know just how they believe. I suspect they're, you know, her husband was an Orthodox. He had to, didn't, he had to become Anglican to marry her because she's the head of the English church, the governor of the English church. So anyway, they probably changed his life immensely. But I noticed that he was forever going to Mount Athos and giving the monks gifts there. And I think he probably was a crypto-Orthodox. But we are not crypto-Christians. We don't have to hide our Christianity. We have to be increase in the beauty of our soul and our body by our good works. Our good works are absolutely essential for eternal life. James tells us that. By your works he will know you, or he will judge you. So, keep up your good works. Be joyful in that you are baptized in Christmas. Receive your Holy Eucharist as the journey, part of your journey to heaven. We are already saved, you might say. Did that Protestants say we're saved? I guess. I have more confidence in that in our church, because I don't know too much about them, but they don't seem to have confidence in their own works, you know. Uh, but it says faith without works is dead. You have to, if you have faith, you're going to do good works. So some of them probably have a decent faith, and their works are worthwhile. Certainly, people like the Queen and her consort, when they were alive, they could afford to do good works and uh, great works. And so if you become wealthy, you have to do great works. It's a responsibility. 
But your greatest responsibility is to live a life in union with the Holy Eucharist and faith so you will get to make your journey to heaven successfully. As I tell you so many times, in heaven there's no pain, sorrow, or mourning, but only life everlasting. But there's more. There's the glory of being fully alive. So this lady I used to have tea with when I was playing the symphony, uh, we'd sit down and we'd have tea and biscuits. Biscuits in England are cookies. And uh, she says to me, she says, you know, the vicar, they didn't know what I was, Protestant or the Catholic or a vicar or what. I was dressed in my black suit and collar when I played the orchestra. And the vicar, he says, he's preached Sunday about the resurrection. I said, well, she says, I'm, I'm horrified. I said, what you're horrified about? She says, well, have you looked closely at me? Well, she was no more senior lady. She says, I don't want to be up there like this. I said, what are you talking about? You'll be there. You'll be beautiful. You'll have your youth back. You'll look gorgeous. And the light will come of the resurrection will show through you. And you will be the talk of the town in the glory of the Lord, in the beauty of the Lord. And he will look at you and say, there's one I love. You resurrection people, you are the ones that belong to the heavenly community whom God really loves. He'll give you everything. May the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.